never connected either with normal people. Two other things to remind you of, 
The Amish dinner for the Hope Circle is, that's not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. And meeting here at 11. Right, Chair? For the Amish dinner. Okay. Okay. But that's, but that's on Tuesday the 19th, not this week, the following Tuesday. So, so, so get hungry now. All right. Uh, the other one I want to remind you of is the the, uh, the bazaar is coming up. It's it's going to be here for you know first first Saturday in November, and I think Debbie wants to say something. Yes, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Yes, the bazaar is just less than four weeks away, and we will need all the help that we can get with any type of donations. Um, this year we will not have the frozen vegetable soup, but we're still asking to make pots of fresh soup and bring them to the church and drop them off um, Friday afternoon between like 5.30 and 7.30. We'll get those packaged up to sell on Saturday. <coughs> if you do have any donations that you'd like to drop off, you can do that at any time now in the youth room. We'll set it up there and then we'll be meeting on Friday, November 5th after 3.30 to price them. So I have a sign-up sheet here, so anybody that can help out in any way, please do so. So thank you so much. Okay. And if you don't want to do any of those things, you can come shop. Um, we're planning on doing trunk or treat this year, so uh, probably be the last Saturday of the month. But we're trying to get a feel for it. Who'd be willing to decorate their cars and trunks? So anybody, please either call me or text me or send me smoke signals if you want. Wait a second, Steve's got something. Oh. Pastor Joe, <laughs> come down, please. Sure. But I didn't know. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Jeanette, our secretary, told me, I mean, no idea, this has been designated as Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. Yes. You were? That's good. That's good. And so I said, Jeanette, what the heck are we going to do? And she said, well, I'll get back with you. She said, well, why don't we have a card shower? For Pastor Jill. Aww. So we, she clandestinely put inserts in the bulletins a couple of weeks ago. We sent out a couple of all church emails without your name on it. You know, mass church mainly. Tricky. And so you've been showered with cards and appreciation for, from, so nice. from the congregation. So I want you to open everyone's right now and read them. <laughs> everything that you do. A lot of people have no idea what Jill does behind the scenes and all, all the hard work and the time that she spends um, as our pastor. She, she's a mom and a wife and, and a student and she she keeps she keeps very busy so we appreciate all that you do for the church behind the scenes. my fault because Jeanette is on vacation so I did it so don't blame her it's all me it's all on me thank you very much I appreciate all these this is so very nice I can't wait to read them I want to break into them right now but I won't you're not with our call to worship it's responsive this morning oh God have mercy on us we pray Wipe away every falling, failing, and make us new in your sight. Restore us, deliver us, and be 
Christ in body and spirit for the way of Christ reading and prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth and declare your praise. Do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Please join me in prayer. In humility and repentance, we bring our failures in caring, helping, and loving. We bring the pain we have caused others. We bring the injustice in society of which we are a part. The transforming power of your grace. Grant us courage to accept the healing you offer and to turn again towards the sunrise of your brain. That when we walk with you in the promise of peace, you have will for all the children of the earth and have made known to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.
gracious and merciful God, you see into the secret places of our hearts where we mourn our sins. As we turn against, again to your grace, receive our prayers. So today, I just have one. I want to lift Holly Post, who will be having another medical test tomorrow. So please keep her in your prayers. Um, I understand that it's about the last thing they can test. So hopefully they'll find some answers for her and she can have some relief for her tongue troubles that she's been having for such a long time. So we'll keep her in our prayers, Lord, and please send your healing peace upon her and her family. And I also want to lift all of the rest of our congregation up in prayer and the world as well. Um, we all can use your, your presence now, Lord, more than ever in a time where people are against one another on every side. Bring us together as one people, your people, and, and be with us as we journey forward to, bring, to help you bring the kingdom of God upon the earth. Look with mercy on our contrite hearts. Wash from us the stain of iniquity and create a new and right spirit in us that we may declare your praise and offer an acceptable sacrifice in these days. Through Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross. Amen. And now let's say with the confidence of children of God the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.
He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to pull out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled their boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed them. You may be seated. Our message this morning is another one of our series based on the book by John Orberg. Eternity is now in session, a radical rediscovery of what Jesus really taught about salvation, eternity, and getting to the good place. And this week we'll be talking about purgation, leaving baggage behind. If you'll pray with me, please. Spirit of the living God, free our minds from error. Teach our hearts the living words of Jesus and inspire our lips to share the good news. In the name of the blessed Holy Trinity, amen. So, I'm going to start out with a statement that we don't like to hear so much in our time, but we need to hear it sometimes. Sin blinds us. I don't mean it blinds us in the physical sense. We usually can still see quite well, even in the midst of sinning. Shoplifters, for instance, are eagle-eyed as they look out for those who would try to catch them in the act. They can home right in by sight on the items they wish to steal, and in a flash, can stuff them in a pocket, a purse, or a bag, and walk away undetected, seeing quite clearly the whole time. No, the kind of blindness that I'm talking about prevents us from seeing ourselves as we truly are. It blunts our self-awareness and weakens our defenses against walking down a wrong or even dangerous path. The Danish theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard tells a parable about a peasant with just this sort of blindness. The peasant gets together enough money to buy a much-needed new pair of shoes and stockings. And after purchasing them and putting them on, finds that he has enough money left over to get drunk. So sporting his new duds, the peasant stops on his way home at the corner pub and happily ties one on. Then he staggers out of the pub toward home. And on the way, Poor man passes out on the road. Well, soon, along comes a carriage of a wealthy lord, and the driver gruffly tells the peasant to get himself up and out of the way or he'll drive the carriage over the peasant's face. So rudely awakened, and kind of groggy, the peasant sits up and 
peers down toward his legs, adorned with the new shoes and stockings. And in his stupor, the peasant forgets his earlier purchase and doesn't recognize his own legs. He looks up at the driver and shouts merrily, Go ahead, they're not my legs! Kierkegaard goes on to write, In the life of the spirit, there is no standing still. If a person does not do what is right, the very second he knows it is the right thing to do, the knowing becomes more and more obscured. And Ortberg explains, I rationalize my behavior, he says. I deny my intention. I forget the wrongs I've committed, but memorize the wrongs I've received. How often in the news when people are caught in deceit or violence do they say, that's not who I am, but it is who I am. I've just convinced myself otherwise. We do not recognize our own character. We do not see our own faults. We do not know our own souls. Go ahead. They aren't my legs. So as we've already seen in this series, we don't need God to save us from what might happen to us so much as that we need God to save us from what might happen inside us. Not where we are going so much as what we might become, if that makes sense. Kierkegaard warned that sin is not about breaking religious rules. Sin is not about doing the wrong thing. It is about being the wrong person doing those things. Sin is in despair, not wanting to be oneself before God. If we are not grounded transparently in God, we are ashamed before him and cannot bear to face him as we are. The thing is, God already knows about everything we've done. And we become ashamed before him only when we become aware what we've done and where we've fallen short, right? God doesn't hate sin because he's anti-pleasure. God invented pleasure. God hates sin because it promises so much and offers us, in the end, so little. All the things we turn to thinking they'll make our lives worthwhile, all those things we believe will fulfill us, money, power, sex, alcohol, drugs, comfort, fame, etc., etc., etc. All these glitter before us, but ultimately, none of them fulfill us. We call these things addictions today, but the Bible calls them idols. All of them work until they don't. This journey to God we're on leads us through a process to identify and remove these idols from primacy in our lives. <clears throat> this is the process we call purgation. It's an old-fashioned sounding word, and it's the same root word as the verb to purge, which essentially means to remove or to make free of something. Often there's pain involved in purging. Imagine how it feels to Throw up when you're sick, and you get the idea of the pain that can be caused by purging something that doesn't need to be there. In our case, though, purgation 
is a process that frees us from the idols that prevent us from seeing ourselves clearly so that we can identify sin and remove its worst effects from our lives. Purgation is a part of the journey we'll explore today. It doesn't happen all at once. In fact, it can be a lifelong process. But getting started is the key once we've awakened to the presence of God in the intimate moments of our lives. In our scripture lesson from Luke this morning, we heard a story about Jesus and his followers. This one is about a lake, a boat, and a man. Something happened that day to one of the men in the boat. After he got out of it, he was never the same again. What happened to the man happens to every one of us when we become intimate with God. We may not like the pain of it, but we recognize, and God knows, that we need it. So here's how our story begins today. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now early in Jesus' ministry, people were already so eager to hear what this carpenter's son turned rabbi had to teach that crowds followed him around for him to stop and talk to them. Jesus didn't disappoint usually, but on this particular day, the crowd was so thick around Jesus on the shore along the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Lake of Gennesaret, that he risked being either crushed or knocked into the water. No one in the back could hear his words, and they kept pushing forward to see and hear the master better. So Jesus stepped into one of the boats at the water's edge, the one belonging to Simon, a fisherman he probably knew from around town. And he asked Simon to row him out a few feet into the water. And Simon did as he was asked, and Jesus sat down to preach. Now everyone knew then that when a rabbi sat down to teach, they were in for a long lesson. Long, long lesson. So I guess beware if I ever get up here and sit down. We might be here for a while. The crowd on shore sat down too and settled in for whatever it was that Jesus was teaching that day. And the story in the, in the scripture doesn't tell us. But I like to imagine Simon, now a captive in the boat with Jesus, sitting there, starting to feel discomfort as he listened to Jesus sharing God's wisdom. You are the light of the world. Peter probably hoped that was true. Maybe Jesus said, as in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, you have heard it said that it, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Certainly we know from the writings that Simon Peter struggled with an anger issue. And later on, he would cut the ear off a Roman soldier as a consequence of his anger. Maybe Jesus says something like, mm, let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
Simon replays all the times in his life when he has denied the truth, as he will do one day when he denies Jesus three times. Maybe as he sits there with Jesus in his fishing boat, he feels a longing for the truth and the life that he hears Jesus talk about, but looks at himself and his own life and feels so unworthy, confused, and doubtful that it could ever <coughs> apply to him. Maybe Simon feels the same shame, hurt, and regret that, that we sometimes today feel as we're overwhelmed by the multitude of our collective sins. We long for release, but we don't know how to let it all go. Simon, probably like us, feels that he will always fall short. Finally, though, when Jesus is finished teaching, he senses Simon's disquiet. And instead of asking Simon to take him back to the shore, he says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, don't you hate it when you're the expert on something and someone who knows nothing about it tries to tell you how to do your business? Well, that's the situation here with Simon. He's the professional fisherman, after all. Jesus is a carpenter who turned into a rabbi. He doesn't know anything about fishing. And it's early afternoon, probably, by now. You don't go fishing in the afternoon. Everybody knows that. It's too hot. Besides, the men had been out all night fishing, and they were dead tired. They hadn't caught anything anyway. What did Jesus know about it? There was just something calm and certain in the look in Jesus' eyes as Simon gazed at Jesus in disbelief. Simon trusted Jesus. It didn't make sense, but there was something about Jesus that caused Simon Peter to let it go. What did he have to lose? Simon finally replied, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So they put out into deep water and let down the nets. And suddenly there were so many fish in them that the nets began to break. There were so many fish that they had to call over the, the other fishing boat, his partners, to help them haul it all in. And there were so many fish that both boats began to sink. I like to imagine that Jesus loved what he did. He loved people. He loved to see them transformed in body and spirit. I like to imagine his eyes twinkling with an I told you so glee as the boats were nearly swamped with fish. And then the reality of the situation hit Simon Peter like a ton of bricks. He was awed with the possibilities of believing in this man and overcome with his own unworthiness in the face of Jesus. Simon Peter falls to his knees on the floor of the boat amongst all the smelly fish. He can't even look up at Jesus. He's so overwhelmed. And Luke tells us Simon Peter fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Simon, for the first time in his life, the man we will one day know as Peter the disciple understands two things. How great Jesus is, and at the same time, how filled with brokenness <coughs> he is. We cannot be fully aware of God if we cannot be fully aware 
of ourselves. We look at our kids' scared eyes and wonder why we're screaming at them all the time instead of holding them close and loving them. We work long hours trying to get ahead, but we're never satisfied. Our spouses suffer through life, mostly without us. We tell lies to make ourselves look better so we can feel better about ourselves, but it's not working. We still feel as worthless as ever, and now we don't know where the lies end, and the truth really begins. We grow cynical and think the worst of others. We trust no one, not even ourselves. We just keep fouling everything up. We can't seem to get it right and do the right thing. How many times do we fail to do what we know we should do? Too many times to count. Whose fault is it? Probably our own, mostly. But here's the thing. In this broken world we have made, we don't live in black and white. We wish it were black and white, but it's just not. Our world is in infinite shades of gray. It is impossible for us to always get things right on our own because we cannot possibly see all the possibilities clearly under our own power. We need a guide to help us see the things we miss and to keep us on track when we lose our way. We need someone to help us find the fish when we can't seem to find them. Jesus didn't leave Simon there, kneeling in fish, head bowed in shame before him. He smiled at Peter and lifted him to his feet with his newly opened eyes and set him on a new path that he would walk with him. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. God doesn't leave us where he finds us, unless we refuse to follow him. And once we recognize God for who he is and how much he loves us, God is difficult to resist. When we get a real glimpse of what God has to offer, like Peter did that day on the boat on Lake Genesaret, we want to follow. Jesus offered Peter his hand and it changed Peter's life. Did it happen all at once? No. We know that because we read the New Testament scriptures. We know that Peter and the rest of the disciples kept fouling things up and getting things wrong. The difference was that they were, with Jesus' help and encouragement, able to acknowledge the mess-ups, confess their shortcomings, make amends, and continue on more clear-eyed than they had been before. Can we completely avoid sin in this life anyway? No, unfortunately, no we can't. Situations are always changing. New opportunities to test us continue to crop up every day. Sometimes we'll get it right, sometimes we'll get it spectacularly wrong. It's what we do when we get it wrong that makes the difference for us and in us. 
we will struggle. We will have to continually be vigilant to recognize and confess our sins. And then we do our best to apologize and make it right as much as we can. Isn't this what we try to teach to our children? Well, it never ends. Our Heavenly Father is always training us up. But we have to trust and obey that God has our best interests at heart, just as we do for our earthly children. It can be painful to acknowledge our shortcomings, but ignoring them only makes the situation worse. Our shortcomings can act in us to make us spiritually sick. The only answer is to purge them. But we cannot purge them if we don't first acknowledge them. When I was a kid and got a bad stomach ache, my mom would come at me with a big spoon and a bottle of pink Pepto-Bismol. I hate when her to this day. I'd moan when I saw the pink stuff and she'd say, either it'll settle your stomach or make you throw up. Either way, you'll feel better. And she was right. Throwing up, though miserable, usually made me feel better. Better out than in, my mom would say then. Better out than in. That's the way of sin, too. But we have to be aware of our sin and want it to be gone in order to purge it from our lives. Walking with Jesus can help us to locate all the shortcomings within ourselves. Trusting him enough to confess them to him and then letting them go is hard and constant work. Jesus, however, will love us through it and despite it. He will never be surprised at the secrets we think we have hidden deep. He knows them already. That's why he chooses us to begin with. Just like he chose Simon. Get ready to go fishing. Amen.
morning. Um, as always during the pandemic, we will leave a offering plate on the chairs as you go out the door if you haven't already dropped in there this morning. Or you can uh, send it via the mail, drop it off during morning office hours when Jeanette is on vacation. And, uh, or use our online giving options. However you choose to give, you know how much it is appreciated, especially by me. Bow your heads with me, please. Great God of heaven and earth, you call us to leave behind our preoccupations and to follow you into the future. Sometimes we find your call challenging. We are comfortable, maybe even complacent in our presence. May this act of giving be a gesture of our willingness to follow where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now please rise as you're able for the singing of the doxology. Nourish you for the life 
of love. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, 